Okay, welcome back, folks, to the Wagner Review podcast series. I'm Kyle Rowland. Today we talk with David Aronoff. David is a graduate of the NYU Wagner School of Public Service. David works in, works in organizing, advocacy, and management. Today, we talk with David about the work he's done in his community as a response to COVID. Some things we touch on are the mutual aid uh, efforts that he's done, uh, mutual aid structures in general, uh, public-private partnerships, expediency versus excellence in terms of product design, uh, additionally, user-centered product design and implementation, and the importance of doing so, especially with regard to social impact products, uh, what it takes to get an aid effort off the ground, and finally, David makes some key recommendations uh, for those looking to do the same. Uh, This is episode two of the Mutual Aid series here at the Wagner Review podcast series, where we profile those in the Wagner community doing work in their own community. So without further ado, it's my pleasure to welcome David Aronoff. Okay, David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Okay, so uh, many of us know you through your leadership on campus at NYU Wagner. Um, Could you talk to us a little bit about your background and uh, what you are working on now? Yeah, for sure. So a little bit of my background. I have been working in city government since 2012. Um, so I have nearly nearly a decade of experience um, working in the most local level. I uh, worked in the city council um, for a council member uh, in Queens and really focused on advocating for constituents, event planning, organizing, bringing direct government services to people. Um, and now I am working in a new office that was established last year called NYC Census 2020, which is basically a first of its kind initiative by any U.S. city to make sure that all New Yorkers are counted in the 2020 census. And then aside from that, um, I have been working during this time also to give back to my community. Um, Since the pandemic hit and the shutdown started, uh, the need for food security, for just general assistance um, has skyrocketed. And we, we saw a need and people from all throughout, I would say New York City and probably the country, sprung into action to help those in need. Yeah, we're excited to talk about both your work with the census as well as your work uh, and what you're seeing in terms of community response to the pandemic. The topic on everyone's mind, obviously, is COVID. I'm aware that you're doing interesting and impactful work. So I figure let's start there. I think we'd like to hear a little bit about what work you're doing uh, in light of the pandemic here in New York City. Yeah, so starting in March, um, what what I initially started off doing was packing food and groceries for Passover um, for families in need that generally would go and pick up this food um, through food pantries, but now they needed it delivered um, because of the shutdown and they were quarantined or they were um, high risk and they couldn't come out of their home. Then it shifted into setting up um, a mutual aid system within my community for people who needed meals and groceries to sign up and those who were willing, willing to volunteer to give their 
time and do those deliveries. So all of this was free. Uh, we didn't uh, really ask for donations from people. People did this uh, within their own time and capability. But of course, we utilized different food pantries in, in the area that were giving out uh, free produce and meals uh, to coordinate with them and to get you know these necessities to people. Yeah, so in terms of forming and responding in a fast way to the issues that we're facing, can you talk a little bit about what it took to get this organization and this mutual aid effort off the ground and elaborate a little bit more on the on the structure and the operations of how the mutual aid organization works. And then also, there's a lot there, but um, talk a little bit more about how the partnership with food banks is working. Yeah, so it was, it was sort of it wasn't difficult to get off the ground. I saw similar models throughout Facebook and social media of other mutual aid systems and how they set it up. Um, so it sort of adapted um, based off a couple of different models. And it was pretty easy to advertise just because within my community, we have a big Facebook group of over 20,000 people. Uh, and I, you know, when I did a video, I made a post and I spoke about it. Um, and then I had some people that were like admins of the group to help promote it as well. And it, it just blew up. So then the, the next part was looking at the back end of the form and seeing everybody that was signing up, basically matching them to a volunteer. So the volunteer, um, the, before the volunteer reached out, the form screened um, individuals, whether they had COVID, whether they, whether they were experiencing symptoms, whether they don't have it, but they're you know, at risk of going out, uh, whether they're a senior, whether they're immunocompromised. This is just to help coordinate with the volunteers to make sure that the volunteers knew what risk there might be, if any. Um, and then I would match volunteer based on location and the volunteer would reach out and, and coordinate the rest. Um, and then I would sort of do a follow-up. From there, just within the first, I would say first couple of weeks, we had several dozen of people that received uh, received deliveries through the, the mutual aid system online. So you would pick up the food from the food banks or uh, how would you do the meal deliveries and what sort of funding uh, and resources are being contributed to the organization? Yeah, so there are, there are a couple of different ways we did it. So some people need needed specific items so if volunteers would go to supermarkets and buy those those items that person needed if the person didn't need anything specific but just needed meals and groceries and produce we would coordinate with food pantries um so a big one is Masbia soup kitchen which they have a location in brooklyn and in forest hills queens um, so we used the Forest Hills Queens location, um, and I know somebody that works there. So we sort of coordinated it. Coordinated it. So when the volunteers went went in, the produce was ready in boxes. They just had to pick it up and go. Um, and we we always encouraged people um, to donate to the local food pantries if they wanted to, uh, because from my experience with the deliveries that we made, some people did want to donate money and like they wanted to give us cash in our hand. And we're like, no, like. Um, we're not going to take it, but what you can do is donate it to these food pantries. Um, and then I, I, um, co-founded a nonprofit organization several years ago, um, a local Jewish nonprofit that I, um, basically set up the mutual aid system under, under this nonprofit. Um, but I was running the operations of it. Um, and, and that's how we, um, we were able to make it, uh, really successful. Um, 
but the food pantries, we couldn't have done it without them. So what is the structure there? Uh, how are mutual aids typically structured? How is your structured? Um, is it geographic? Is it identity-based? Could you talk to us a little bit about that? So what I've seen so far, it's geographic-based, but there are definitely some identity um, and cultural, um, you know, cultural-based ones as well. Uh, so, so for the one that I set up for my community, it was uh, an identity-based. Um, so I'm from the Bukharian Jewish community. It's an, it's an immigrant community. Um, and a relatively new one. So the majority of my community came here in 1991. Um, so there's a big language barrier um, and they are not plugged into city resources uh, and they they need an advocate who, who understands them. Um, so that's where I sort of stepped in. Um, a lot of the other organizers of the different mutual aids are just community, you know, community leaders, community activists, organizers, um, people who who wanted to step up um, and who have always stepped up uh, to, to help the community. Uh, so it's people who are, who are usually active. So where does the government play in all of this? If obviously there's a need and there's a, there's a quick need an immediate need, and that's where the mutual aid efforts are so impactful is that they can respond to the need faster than say a government organization. But um, do you guys have any sort of association with uh, any government agency or any representatives, anything like that? Um, has there been any collaboration or uh, what is the relationship there? So during that time, it was a little bit crazy because there was a lot of there were a lot of things happening at once, different priorities. So we didn't work with any elected officials or um, really government agencies. But these food pantries are funded by the local government um, and they are supported by, uh, you know, local leaders. But one thing that um, happened was because there were such long lines and the need was so great um, for these food pantries, the city implemented an appointment system through this online uh, platform. And what I, what I experienced and what I noticed was that a lot of, a lot of people relying on this food assistance, they're, they're immigrants. So they're not able to use this online system. Like they have to text a number, they, um, they have to text food, the word food to a number and then it basically walks them through this appointment system but it's it's pretty it's pretty long um and they do have it in multiple languages but it's not it's not as easy because it's it's confusing so you'll have people who think they made an appointment um and they really didn't go and stand online and they wait still forever because even if you don't have an appointment they'll take you but you have to wait on a separate line people with an appointment they don't have to wait online, they just go right away. Um, and it really exacerbated wait times at food pantries. And it was this platform database was implemented for all um, food pantries across the city. Uh, not at the beginning of the shutdown, but several weeks in because they saw the need was really great. I know why it's important, why there should be an appointment system. But again, we need to think about the end user. When you're designing a system that doesn't directly take in consideration the feedback of the people that are using it, especially immigrants, there's going to be struggle um, and it's not going to be as efficient. So that was something that I noticed and people at the food pantries who work there also expressed frustration like this is, they've never had to use this before. And now they're adjusting to an entirely new system during a pandemic. Like just imagine how crazy that is. Yeah, exactly. It's like they're trying to create a new system 
it makes sense. They want to redistribute the waves of people showing up at the food pantries or create some sort of more efficient system. But in doing so, as it always happens, the flaws get elucidated when people start using it. It seems as though these mutual aids are quick startup uh, responses to social issues at the time. Um, and they're innovative in that sense. Um, we talk about the appointment system. We talk about using uh, Facebook and uh, and sharing videos through social media. Uh, are there any other innovations that you've seen arise that could be useful? I think what the city could have done from the start was sort of create a map of all the different mutual aid systems that were set up um, and, and point people in the right direction. Because aside from the food pantries, these mutual aid systems delivered and picked up um, prescriptions from pharmacies. They, uh, individuals were helping people fill out um, government forms for public assistance during this time, such as applying for unemployment. Um, they were giving free legal advice. So there were, there were different uh, ways that people gave back um, and are still giving back uh, through mutual aid systems. And I feel like the local government really could have capitalized on it um, and sort of created a dashboard of all the mutual aids um, throughout New York City. Uh, it's, of course, it's very hard um, to create an entirely new system during a pandemic because everything, you know, everything's happening at once. People are working from home. Um, but something like that, just a, as an organizing tool, would have been very, very helpful. Um, and I think it's important, you know, to talk to the people who are impacted the most. Um, if you if you want efficiency, if you want things to go smooth, um, and of course you want the end user to be happy, you need to include them in the process. Right, exactly. When you're when you're designing products, especially products that are designed for the social good or a public good, um, public health, um, hunger, transportation, anything like that, you always need to design the product with the end user in mind. Um, especially the end user or your constituency in which you want to benefit the most. If you're designing a product and, and it's, it's not built for, from the perspective of the end user, you're going to have a, um, an ineffective product. So where do we go from here? Uh, where, do you see, where do you see this moving, especially with uh, COVID progressing as it is? Um, things are looking up, but um, you never know what's on the horizon. Yeah, um, so... As the pandemic, we see things, you know, as it goes on, we see the city reopening. Um, the worst of it has passed. Um, but that food security or food insecurity is still there. Uh, there are still line, long lines for food pantries, uh, blocks long. Just look at, look at um, Corona uh, in Queens. Look at Elmhurst in Queens. Um, those neighborhoods have been hit the hardest during this pandemic in New York, and the the need is not going down anytime soon. Um, so I would suggest for people to look up online. Um, I'm sure you can find a few mutual aids just by searching on Google now. Um, they've some of them have become really you know prominent. Um, look on Facebook. Look for different Facebook groups. Um, for example, on Facebook, there's a big Queens mutual aid group. Um, but it also, if you know somebody who's in need, try to help out and plug them into these resources. Um, the New York City has a free meal delivery program. Uh, they deliver meals twice a week, um, and they have also kosher and halal meals. So 
uh, whatever people's dietary restrictions are, um, the city sort of, I think, has has it all now. They didn't have it in the beginning, but it's, it's pretty much um, set now. And also all of the New York City public schools, uh, not all of them, but um, a lot of them are set up as grab-and-go meal sites. Um, so people can walk in from, I think it's from 7 in the morning to 1 p.m., and grab uh, meals for the day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Uh, and they also have um, halal sites and kosher sites as well. Um, so nobody should be going hungry during this time. There's so many resources to be able to get produce and meals. Um, and all it takes is a little bit of searching for us. Um, you know, um, as we are more plugged into the digital age and technology it might be easier for us to find, but I would implore people um, who might live amongst, um, you know, poorer communities, uh, immigrant communities, uh, to reach out and ask, you know, ask your neighbor if they need help, uh, because it, it'll go a long way. And a lot of people might be embarrassed to ask for help. So you reaching out could literally change someone's life. Yes, and that's exactly what we're talking about: is is taking the first step and uh, looking around your community and the which ways you can help, um, and then taking action on that. So, David, we're coming up on our time. I've really enjoyed talking to you today, and I, th I think our audience will enjoy this conversation as well. Uh, so leave us with some information. How can somebody interested get plugged into the resources that you have and the work that you're doing? Yeah, so um, my organization is, is called the Buharian Jewish Union, BJU. Um, I have an email um, associated with the nonprofit. It's david at bjuny.org. Uh, people can email me there. Um, and I can plug people in uh, to different resources, but also those in Queens, if they want to spend their time um, volunteering at food pantries, um, these food pantries would love any help that they can get. Um, and they're really, really grateful and appreciative. So must be a soup kitchen in Forest Hills, Queens is one. Um, Common Point, Queens uh, is another one also in Forest Hills. Um, La Jornada Food Pantry. Um, and uh, they serve the Jackson Heights, Corona area, Elmhurst. They would, um, they have been, you know, like a powerhouse during this time. Um, the River Fund uh, in Richmond Hill, Queens. Uh, there are a bunch more. Um, and if people reach out, I can certainly plug them in into different food pantries. Great. Uh, David, thank you for joining us on the podcast, for uh, educating us on the work you're doing and your leadership in your community. Thank you, Kyle. Okay, everyone, that is David Aronoff concluding part two of our series on mutual aid. Um, I learned a lot. I'm hoping that you guys enjoyed the conversation and took something away from it. Um, learning about what you can do in your community, especially on a, in a, on a volunteer basis. Um, on a spontaneous basis. Um, this is the Wagner Review Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. See you next time.